Indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like if cops arrest a mime, do they tell him that he has the right to remain silent? Hi America, hello world. My name is Adrian Lee and I am your host. Welcome to the show More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you. To bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre, and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests, somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains, with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly, from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your light and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting or for making me laugh or shiver in horror. Extra points will be available for shock and awe value. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and retrobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of this would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show and we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? So without any further ado, let us embrace the darkness. Let me start by introducing tonight's guest panel. Firstly, the mysterious and effervescent Heather Morris. She has been a paranormal investigator for many years with her own team called Hellhound Paranormal and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now the audio and EVP expert with the International Paranormal Society and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather has been pondering all week that if a man talks in a deserted forest and a woman doesn't hear him, is he still wrong? Welcome to the show, Heather. (laughs) Always. Fabulous. Always wrong. You're on minus two. <laughs> that was, was a setup. <laughs> it was, was a setup. I don't know, understand what you're telling me. This this isn't true at all. We also have with us the analytical and sceptical, very sceptical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society. Kim has spent all week wondering if vegetarians will actually eat animal crackers. Welcome to the show, Kim. (laughs) Hello. Finally on tonight's show, I wish to introduce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He is married to Kim, and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads than the BBC outside broadcast department. He is also a producer and sound mixer. 
Greg discovered this week that 75% of all accidents happen within five miles of the home. So he's now thinking of moving 10 miles away. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Greg. Hello. Can you believe we are on episode 30? That's quite a, quite a milestone. Um, there's points to be won straight off the bat here. Who can tell me what you buy as a present for a 30th wedding anniversary? Does anyone know? Anyone want to jump in? I'm happy to take guesses at this point. The, platinum. Sorry, platinum. You're a minus two. No. <laughs> China. China. No, we've had that. That was about after 10 years, wasn't it? I think that was maybe. I thought we were at silver at 25, right? It's 25, yeah. I hate to say it, but none of us are going to figure it out because we'll never get there. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true on the back of the fact that half of us around this table aren't, in fact, married. It's uh, Pell, would you believe? So if Greg wants to produce something involving a Pell at some point during tonight's show, (laughs) that will be gratefully received. Did you know the minimum age for the United States to have senators is actually 30 years old? You can't be a senator before you're 30. So the show can now be voted into the Senate, you'll be pleased to hear. It is also the total number of major and minor keys in a Western tonal music scale. So Greg, with his love of the harp and other musical instruments, should be very much aware of that. And it's a very biblical number, of course. 30 was the age in which Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist. And it was, of course, the amount of silver, 30 pieces of silver, that he was in fact betrayed for. So again, a very important and biblical number. I must tell you a brief story about this week. Um, We're not too far away from a place called Loon Lake, which is just on the border of Iowa and Minnesota. If you go south of Jackson, maybe 10 miles, you reach Loon Lake. Now, there's a lot of urban legends and a lot of myths, and there's a lot of books out there. If you're a fan of the paranormal in the Midwest, you may actually be well aware of this story. There's a disused cemetery in Loon Lake and apparently it's buried in the undergrowth and it's all overgrown. You have to fight your way through a swamp and there's a jaguar apparently and uh, Native Americans there and Japanese soldiers still thinking the war's on that you have to kind of get through. And there's a crashed F-111 from the Vietnam War there and you have to kind of work your way to the cemetery. But the urban legend is that there was a woman buried there called Mary Jane Trevilliger and she died in 1880 and apparently she was a witch And she's buried in this cemetery and the people of Petersburg captured her, claimed her she was a witch and they actually cut her head off. And the the myth is that she's buried along with the axe that she had her head cut off with. Now, I'm led to believe if you read on the Internet and if you read in various books, if you jump over her grave three times, you'll die within 72 hours, apparently, because people have done this in the past and then come across all kinds of mean and nasty ways to die and it sounds like a really bad B movie doesn't it it's the sort of thing you know you go to the cinema and eat your popcorn and watch so I was very interested in this as a paranormal investigator and a historian I've done a bit of research on this um, one of the founders of Megadeth actually comes from Jackson and he wrote a song about this particular witch where the lyrics are the words that are written on her gravestone now the local authority has taken her gravestone away because it's been vandalised so many times and people have pulled it up and moved it and used it as a souvenir, that the gravestone is actually in the historical society now. It's not actually in place. So if you're told you mustn't go over her grave, you don't actually know where her grave is anymore. She'll be wandering around like a man stuck in a minefield, I guess. Ultimately, I was very interested in this story. I do want to go out there and investigate, hopefully before winter comes along, because uh, you don't want to be outside in Minnesota when it's minus 40 and the wind's whistling around you. But in the last knockings of four, it might be quite fun to go out there 
with maybe a ghost box and some recording equipment. Because what he discovered today is that I, I found it hard to believe that in the 1880s you would behead a witch. Because all of the witch trials and all of the witch burnings that took place in England were in the 16th and 15th century. You know, King James wrote the King James Bible with a lot of slant on it and mistranslations to use it as an excuse to burn witches. So this is the period of history we're talking about. And on some of the urban legend websites where I read about this lady, Mary Jane, it says that she was burned. Well, in the history of America, you have never burnt a witch. Um, for the Salem witch trials, for example, they were hung. So there's been no witch. If anyone ever says to you, this witch was burnt here, it's never happened in this country. But I found her death certificate online. And I also found... Um, an article from the local newspaper talking about how this woman died. And she wasn't a witch at all. She was 17 years old when she died. Her occupation on the census said that she was a domestic servant and she actually died of diphtheria on her death certificate. Apparently she was coming into Jackson. She was then ill. She died four days later. And of course, back in the day, you know, you can't move bodies around, especially without refrigeration. So if you died in a town, you got buried in the town. In the same way that if you died on, you know, on a farmer's land, you, you ultimately got buried on that land. So it's very interesting. I don't want to be a killjoy. You were. Well, I'm looking to dispel the uh, tooth fairy and the Easter, bunny, the Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny next week. <laughs> I didn't even know rabbits laid <sighs> eggs. It's incredible. So uh, we are going to go out there and investigate. But I just thought it was a shame that this poor lady who died of diphtheria has then become this urban legend that she's a witch and all the kids go out there and mess her around and, you know, destroy her gravestone. And this poor lady was 17 when she died. She was a domestic servant, according to my records, and uh, she died of diphtheria. So I'm sorry if I'm crushing some urban legends out yeah, there. But it would still be interesting to go out there and say this yeah, to well, her in spirit and say, we know who you are. You know, what do you think about the things that have happened to you and, you know, how your grave has been, you know, decimated, I guess. So... Ultimately, that's something we can do. So let us start the show. There are points to be had. Our first round, as always, is ghosts and haunting. So, Heather, would you like to start the show? What points are you going to win tonight? Japanese Festival puts the fun in planning your own funeral. There's nothing more fun, is there, than planning your own funeral. <laughs> if you had the chance, to be fair in spirit, if you had the chance to come back and see who turned up, do you know what I mean? You'd be sat there thinking, God, Auntie Jean could have made an effort. She didn't even comb her hair. Do you know what I mean? And, oh, you could have some fun with yeah, it. Yeah, what's my niece wearing? That's ridiculous. You know, it's like she's wearing... Oh, I would have things popping out of closets or something. Oh, you'd actually be proactive. <laughs> oh, yeah. You'd be throwing stuff around Great. and tugging on people's hair. Fabulous. <laughs> if, I, if you go before me and I'm standing there by the dirt looking into the hole, you're going to be playing with my hair, are you? If you <laughs> have any left by then. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Early use of the inappropriate bell. Kim is on minus two. Of course I'll have hair. I'll take my shirt off for you. <laughs> What a good start to the show. There is a story in there dying to get out, I'm sure. Sampling commercial products comes in many forms, from tasting new foods and drinks or test-driving cars to trying out the latest video games. How about sampling your own funeral and getting a taste of your last goodbye before you're placed six feet under or cremated, depending on your preference? Whether you think it's cool or creepy, it's happening, and it's big in Japan. Before we go any further... I just want a show of hands on whether people want to be buried or cremated because I've changed my views on this over the years. Um, back in the day when I was younger, I just thought, well, I'll be cremated. It doesn't matter. I'll go up mm. a chimney. I'm not too concerned. But 
as a historian, over the last 10 to 15 years, I've found more out about my family tree by finding graves from my great-great-great-grandparents where it's got names and dates, stuff that I couldn't have previously seen anywhere else, that I'm now thinking it might be an idea just in terms of genealogy, to have some sort of record in place. And I hope that doesn't come across as egotistical, that you want to leave a marker behind for future generations to look at, if you like. But it was a real revelation to me to go through East London Cemetery and actually find the graves of my great-great-grandparents that I didn't even know existed. I didn't know their names. They had a surname that was a name that was new to my family. Because ultimately, you know, you're one-quarter of your grandparents, your one-eighth of your great-grandparents, you go back 12 generations, you've suddenly got a couple of thousand people in your family tree that are your direct descendants, all with different surnames, of course, or last names, as you say, to the one that you currently have. So I'm now kind of in a quandary. I, I don't know whether to be buried or cremated, to be honest. You might um, not have a choice. I might not have a choice, of course. <laughs> I'll get buried at sea so you can't dance on my grave, Kim. Um, so what... Heather, what would what are your preferences, just for future reference? Uh, what do you mean, future well, reference? Well, I'm just we're, we're all making plans around this table. Why you just ain't been made aware of them? Would you like a nice cup of tea? I'll make you a nice cup of tea. <laughs> Excellent. Never mind the froth on the top or the sediment. Just, just it's a nice cup of tea. A lovely, <laughs> a lovely, warm, comfortable, nice cup of tea. I think I'd prefer to be buried. Okay, you're going to be buried, are you? Yeah. Okay, Nathan, you're here today with us. What would you prefer? As a Jew, we can't be burned, so buried. Buried. They are. And I'm with buried as well. So we're all going to be buried. Yep. Fantastic. I just thought I'd clear that up. I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, what, what, what do you go with, to be honest? Well, now we know. Don't now we? we know. Now we can start making plans. Excellent. I'll get a shovel, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Drink the tea. <laughs> Shikatsu Festival is held in I'm Tokyo. I'm sorry, you can't. What? Shikatsu. Uh, bless you. You're welcome. I had a touch of that once, but that was due to a Taco Bell. This is actually <laughs> held in Tokyo, and it's a popular annual festival dedicated to the preparation and personalization of your funeral. Shikatsu in Japanese means preparing for one's end. The event attracts more than 5,000 people every August, and with Japan's aging population, it is seen to spike in attendance every year. At the event, more than 50 vendors display their products for trial including a selection of caskets, funeral attire for both men and women, as well as plenty of hair and makeup options. It's when a hearse goes past and we say, here, Greg, your taxi's arrived. <laughs> <laughs> um, and some of the visitors weren't shy about suiting up, slipping into a coffin and snapping selfies to see what it might feel like. At the Shikatsu Death Festival, people really put the fun in funeral. There you go. Well, that was very fun, very Wasn't informative. It? I thought so. Slight amount of awe and wonder. So I'm going to give you two points, which brings you back to zero. <sighs> I have a very interesting story here. It says Nicholas Cage was talking this week in the Daily Mail about living in a haunted house. Nicholas Cage bought Madame LaLaurie's former home in New Orleans in the hope of penning a horror novel. The 50-year-old actor snapped up the mansion in New Orleans, previously owned by Madame LaLaurie, who's known for the torture and murder of slaves, in the hope of gaining inspiration to pen an American horror novel. Speaking in the Daily Mail's newspaper event magazine, he said, I once lived in the most haunted house in America. The LaLaurie mansion in New Orleans belonged to Madame LaLaurie, a well-known 19th century socialite and serial killer. 
That's a very odd combination, isn't it? Well-known socialite and serial killer. <laughs> That's like saying, you know, uh, well-known president and intellectual, for example. <laughs> but how does one combine... Oh. A little bit of politics there. How does one combine socialite and serial killer? It's like I do a bit of socialising, a bit of drinking, a bit of dancing, a bit of mass murder, perhaps. It makes Paris Hilton look like she's only been going about things half arse, doesn't it? <laughs> I bought it in 2007, figuring it would be a good place in which to write the great American horror novel. Hover novel. Hover novel. Hover novel. Yes, he's very good at writing hover novels. Horror novel. I didn't get too far with the novel. Apparently, his writing is now joined up, though, so some progress has, in fact, been made. However, the kick-ass <laughs> kick star admits that he isn't the only time he's found himself in a spooky situation, as someone told him once that his son Weston, who's now 23, would be dead before he reached the age of 15. He explains, someone once told me that my child, nine at the time, would be dead by the time he was 15. I immediately told that person to back away from the house, and they did. My son, Weston, is now 23. I wonder if a psychic makes a prediction like that, and then on the eve of his 16th birthday, if nothing's happened to him, goes roaming around the neighbourhood with a sniper's rifle. It wasn't just, Sylvia Brown, was it? Oh, I, I'm not going to get into that argument again. But <laughs> all, all, You can just imagine all these psychics <laughs> passing each other in the still of the night like ninjas, you know, and uh, one saying to another one, what age did you say they'd die? And they say 15, and I'll say, oh, no, uh, my one was only 13, and he's going to be 13 tomorrow. And then you position yourself on the roof opposite the amusement arcade with a telescopic sight. So uh, ultimately... You know, you can actually make that happen, of course. But what a bizarre thing <laughs> to say to someone that their child's going to die at a certain age. I don't understand why a psychic would say that or a psychic would, would bring that about. It seems mm -hmm. very odd to me. Psychics are meant to help people. Why would you then say, you know, you're going to be dead at a certain age? It would just be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It would be. I don't understand that. It's very, very odd. Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Ghosts and Hauntings? Krispy Kreme to sell Ghostbusters themed donuts. Yay! Ooh. Yeah. It is the 30th anniversary, I believe, of the film, isn't it? Yes. yes. Krispy Kreme and Sony Pictures have collaborated on something fans loved from their childhoods, creating two kinds of marshmallow-filled donuts to celebrate the Blu-ray release of the 30th anniversary edition of Ghostbusters. That makes me happy. It makes yeah. me feel old. 30 years. Yes. I remember when that film first came out, and uh, a couple of my friends and I decided, I hope my parents aren't listening to this, decided that we would play hooky from school. Is that the term you use over here? Bunking mm -hmm. off of yes. school? So uh, we went to the cinema for the matinee. It was in Romford, so I got on a big red London double-decker bus and we went into Romford and we went to the ABC, a big, big art deco theatre there. And uh, we arrived and practically every child from our school was in that cinema. There could not have been a single kid in school. And I bet every teacher was sat there thinking, why is there no one here? Of course, there'd be the nerdy one that no one, you know, with the glasses that doesn't have any friends sat at the front, of course. But ultimately, this cinema was packed with basically every kid from that school. And I watched Ghostbusters uh, with the rest of the school, whilst the school was probably wondering <laughs> what was taking place that very afternoon that meant there wasn't a single child in the building. <laughs> But uh, I, I read Dan Aykroyd recently was saying that he wants to introduce more films 
into that series, almost like the way Marvel has done. He doesn't want to just produce another film, like a third film. It's a franchise. He wants to produce a franchise, absolutely, where you then have other films lined up, like the Marvel have done with, you know, the Hulk and... Thor and Captain America and then bring them all that together. That makes me excited. Marvel, well, it, though, is overdoing it, if what I, if the statement I'm going to make is true, because I heard that they're going to have 15 Marvel movies come out in the year 2015. That, That's a huge number. Well, they must. it's supply and demand, ultimately, because people are watching them, aren't they? And they're selling the toys. What annoys me is that there's only been two Ghostbusters films. And I've been waiting patiently for the last 25 (laughs) years for a third one to come out. And now Dan Aykroyd, instead of saying we're going to do one more, you know, which they can't manage at the moment, seems to be beyond them, is now saying we want to do a whole franchise. And I'm thinking, never mind the franchise, just get another one out and we'll start from there. Seems to be the way to go. So is there any more to this story? What Um, else? To talk about what the donuts are, how they're doing them. So uh, the Ghostbusters donut will feature white icing, a green splat inspired by the film Psychomagnotheric Slime. Say that again? Psychomagnotheric <laughs> Slime. Slimer. That's a good word for Scrabble. That gets you 2,738 points <laughs> if my maths is correct. And a Ghostbusters logo sugar piece. The Stay Puffed Marshmallow option will be decorated with white icing, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man's face, and a sugar hat. Fabulous. It's a ways to get high on lots of fat and sugar, no doubt. Well, that's very informative. You were on minus two. I shall give you two points. And you are back on a resplendent zero. I have another story here in the haunting section. It says paranormal investigators confirm poltergeist possession of a microwave. Homeowner Bill McCord says it started with random beeping. That's what microwaves do, isn't it? He'll be telling us next that the plate inside was going around on its own. One time it went off like the food was done. And when I looked over, the damn thing was still going and it said 666. Unfortunately for McCord and his family, this spooky occurrence was just the beginning of a long kitchen appliance nightmare. My dad has lots of kitchen appliance nightmares. He barely goes in the kitchen and he can just barely work out what a frying pan does. We found the (laughs) microwave in the attic when we moved in a few months back. We didn't have one, so figured, what the hell, we might as well try it, said McCord. I'll tell you, the thing's heated up really well. Sometimes it beeped or turned itself off in the middle of cooking, though. Then really weird things started to happen. It zapped at food, as if we were putting shards of metal in it. I couldn't figure out what was going on. It's almost as if someone's put it in the attic because it was broken. (laughs) Wow, who knew? Really? His wife, Betty, adds, it turns on by itself. It turns off by itself, she said. It's like it's messing with me. No matter how many times I pop the door shut, the minute I leave the room, it pops open again. One night, really late, I walked into the kitchen. I'm about to open the fridge, and the microwave door just flew open, lighting up the whole kitchen in a horrible, scary, lightning blue colour. It's like it wanted to electrocute me. I must admit, I've been uh, haunted by a microwave on several, uh, with several instant meals in, in many respects. I've been haunted by ready meals from microwaves. I don't know if anyone else has had the experience. <laughs> I had to lock myself in the bathroom all night once after I had a beef lasagna. <laughs> the McCord contacted the Kansas ghost hunting group right away, found a Kevin Young, was eager to study both the microwave and the entire home in general. The McCords didn't want to go out without a microwave or risk upsetting the spirit by taking it out of their house. We obtained permission to stay the night and study the phenomena in its natural environment. 
That sounds very odd, doesn't it? It's almost like a nature show. Here we can see the alpha male microwave in its natural environment. My wife, who's also on my squad, is highly empathic. As we warmed up TV dinners in the microwave, we sensed a presence. It was the fisherman's pie, I think. As soon as she mentioned it, the microwave started beeping repeatedly. The door flung open and my hungry man dinner went flying across the room. We pressed the off button. We unplugged it. It beeped several times more after we cut the power off. Young called. That's ridiculous. It's like Stephen King's Christine, isn't it? Only with a microwave. There's nothing scarier than random heating of uh, ready-made meals. No haunted house experience would be complete without unearthed Kitchen appliances. Young called in paranormal investigator and self-proclaimed authority on mechanical possessions, Carl Richards. He believes it's not a ghost, but a poltergeist that takes possession of the microwave. When Richards was asked if the McCord should get a new microwave, he advised, it is important to remember the malevolent presence does not strictly live in the microwave. Getting rid of the microwave will not solve the problem. It has the ability to travel throughout the electrical wiring. Upon hearing this, Mrs. McCord stopped using electrical appliances and switched over to using strictly ones with batteries in the bedroom. Wow. <laughs> there we go. Happy days. Heather, do you have any more for me in the rounds of ghosts and hauntings? Yes, I do. I'm going to give myself five points because that was very informative. No, it was just very long. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, the Blinking Mummy of Rosalia Lombardo. Ooh. Rosalia Lombardo died at two years old of pneumonia in 1920. She was preserved by a skilled embalmer using methods only recently understood and entombed in Italy's capuchin catacombs. They used gherkin pickling vinegar, didn't they, is where we are. Pickling vinegar. I'm That's not sure. Trick. Yeah, I don't. I'm sure. Yeah, they put in a big jar of pickling vinegar. I did see a picture of her. She looked like a very sweet little two-year-old. Really? I oh, mean, she's she looks two? Like, yeah, she's oh, only two. She's two years You old. weren't listening at all, were you? No, I was thinking of pickling vinegar. <laughs> wow. Okay. Mm. Well, it was said before the pickling vinegar. You I, I'm psychic. I was already thinking <laughs> of pickling vinegar before you got there. Recently, a bizarre phenomenon has stirred controversy and sparked new interest in Palermo's Sleeping Beauty. The eyes of the mummified child who rests in a glass coffin have been observed opening. Time-lapse shows that her eyes open slightly and then close again after a period of two hours. So her eyes open and shut? Yeah, I watched the video. It's true. Really? Her in the glass coffin, her eyes will open and then they'll shut again. That's creepy. Yeah. While there is much speculation about the cause, restless spirits... It's generally accepted that it's most likely occurring due to temperature changes in the catacombs. Wow. But I, they I, don't know that for sure. I, you, how old is she? 1920s, did you say? Yeah. She died in 1920 and she was two years old. Two years old. I don't want to be, go- <laughs> I don't want to be ghoulish, but ultimately, you know, if the eyes open, if her eyelids open, I mean... Wh- there's nothing behind I was going to say, there's not, you know, that's emaciation at that point. There's not going to be too much there. No, but her, her eyes just slightly open and then they'll close again in the wow. period of two hours that's and creepy it, it is creepy Can you imagine you you're looking video. you know right up against the oh, glass and the and ice i always suddenly. thought that when they process bodies like that i always thought that they sewed the eyelids 
I do, I do. You're absolutely right. I think there's a They weren't process. glued. They weren't sewed. They might not have done that in the 20s, perhaps. I don't know. But it is creepy. You'd have to see the video. It's Ooh, I'm not sure I want to. I don't need to get to sleep tonight. That would give me nightmares. I, th- that's a very interesting story and contains awe and wonder and uh, shock and horror. There you so go. So you shall get many points. I shall give you three. <laughs> At the end of that round, I am on five. Kim is on zero Whatever. and Heather is on three and it's all to play for. We now move into the round that is UFOs, cryptozoology, it's green men and hairy beasties. Heather, you can start me off again. You're on a roll. Where are we going in the world for UFOs? To and Russia. To Russia. Yes. Russian scientist claims that around 200 yetis or yeti are yes, living in Siberia. 200? 200. I guess you'd need a colony. That's always been the argument, isn't it, with uh, Yeti and with uh, Bigfoot and so on, is that you need a colony. It's not just one roaming around on his own. They need to mate and, uh, you know, they need to be social, I guess, if they're human, you know, hominids, that's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if there was a, a commune. Yeah. Um, Are they uh, doing, like, menial jobs? Are they, like, sweeping the streets and kind of working in McDonald's and stuff? I'm sure I've seen a couple of these working in McDonald's. You're terrible. No, it's true. I've got (laughs) photographs to prove it. A row has erupted in Russia over a biological scientist's claim that some 200 Jedi live in a large area of southern Siberia. So this is Return of the Jedi. (sighs) No. (laughs) Professor Valentin Supunov has infuriated academics with his assertion that scientific tests, including DNA checks, found hair samples from a remote cave belong to a human-like mammal unknown to man. Do you know how many DNA tests have been done recently where they say this hair doesn't belong to any kind of hominid creature, whether it be a monkey, a gibbon, an ape, or a human? And uh, I saw one report that said that this was an ancient monkey, if you like, an ancient kind of uh, ape that's been extinct for thousands and thousands of years, but it never goes anywhere. You read the story, and we've read these out on air many, many times. Mm -hmm. What happens next? Nothing ever seems to happen, does it? You read the story out. The DNA says it's like nothing's ever been seen before. It belongs to a prehistoric monkey. And then that's it. It just goes into the ether and disappears. And then three months later, someone else finds some more hair. It gets tested and we read the same stories out again with a different country. It never seems to get anywhere, does it? I've been reading these stories out now for six or seven years. And it doesn't seem to take you any further down the road, if, if that's my perception of things. Oh, I'm sorry. I know, it's just a disappointment all round. It's, it's just appalling. Well, he's claiming that this number that he believes exists um, actually allows them to successfully reproduce. So it's like your colony He's calling theory. it Iowa. Oh. <laughs> Controversial. Yeah, he claims that there have been no confirmed sightings of the Jedi because they have an acute sense of danger, so therefore they hide. But other Russian experts are deeply unimpressed by the Professor Sapunov's theories, saying he has put his big foot in it with claims that there is a DNA backing for this the existence <laughs> of the Jedi. Imagine you're going hiking and it starts to rain and you see a little cave and you go wandering off into the cave and you're sat there and you light a match and suddenly you see all these people looking at you. That would be terrible. They're apparently meant to smell really bad. But they can drive, apparently. and uh, so Then there must be a Yeti in the bathroom every morning. There you go. <laughs> Greg, just Greg, take, Greg, Greg takes a Yeti in with, into the bathroom, which is, which is really unusual because my dad I'm takes... I'm going to ask, did you do a Yeti this morning? Did you see a Yeti? No. Smell a Yeti? 
I, I could take a canary in with me if that helps. <laughs> My dad takes a canary in with him. My skunk ape. Skunk ape. It's very, very true. That's informative and very, very interesting. I shall give you more points. You're now on a resplendent six. I've got a story here. We're going to UFOs now because we're doing cryptozoology. We're doing yetis and Bigfoots and we're now doing UFOs. It says scientists puzzled by green alien eggs found on a Sydney beach. And the beach is called D.Y., which is a very strange name for a beach. Surfers and beachgoers at a northern Sydney suburb, D.Y.'s Beach, were left stunned at the sight of a number of green, sponge-like spheres which washed ashore. Ray Marie Hutton, a surf patrol member, told the Manly Daily, I want to touch one because you never know what can sting you on the beach. In fact, she doesn't want to touch one at all. But I did poke it with my toes and it's squishy. So let me get this straight. She doesn't want to touch green balls. This is where we are. So uh, Kermit the Frog ultimately needs to be... Kermit the Frog's fine. He doesn't have nothing to worry about is where we are. So if you're listening, Kermit the Frog, if you go walking along Mandy Beach, you will be fine. But uh, she says they look like alien eggs or something. Local resident Jenny Zhang further added, about three days ago, there were a few egg-shaped balls. But then today, they were much bigger and everywhere on the beach. I've been to beaches like that in Europe. It's very often. So now we have bigger green yes, balls. Even Does it change bigger. color? No, they're still green, just slightly larger. Now, if you go to I thought Europe, you were going to say slimy. <laughs> I'm guessing they were. That's just your imagination. So, I haven't got so to the green, slimy. slimy balls. Yes, it's where we are. It's better. It's just great, isn't it? And these wash up on the beach, apparently. <laughs> now, there are beaches in in Europe that I've been on where you know you suddenly see a guy walking past you, completely naked, and. You know, he's out there basting everything in the hot midday Mediterranean sun. You can see his chewing gum. Everything's on display. It's ridiculous. It's it's like sat there basting it, putting cooking oil on it and just sitting there. Like when it's medium rare, you know, you plop it back in again. But it's very off-putting. There's parks in Germany. I went to a park in Germany. I think it was called the uh, English Garden. And uh, I went in there and uh, I was sat there on a bench eating my schnitzel and drinking, you know, my, my German beer. And I didn't know you could reach your schnitzel. Well, you know, <laughs> one of the advantages of having long arms, of course. <laughs> you scratch it, you're closer. <laughs> but uh, two women, two, two German frauleins came along without a stitch of clothing on them and uh, asked me if I had a light. And it was the one time in my life I wish I smoked. But of course, you know, you can understand they didn't have a lighter on them. It would have been impractical. But yes, it was very off-putting. There's parks in Germany. You can walk around without a stitch of clothing on you. And that that says a lot about the Germans in many respects, doesn't it? But we move on. It says that Alistair Poor, Associate Professor from the School of Biological Earth and Environmental Sciences in Sydney, said the balls could be a rare type of living green algae. So you're absolutely right. They were green and they were slimy. I've seen similar things. Sometimes dead sea grass can roll around and form balls like underwater tumbleweeds. It's like the lint in your belly button, isn't it, is where we are. He says, underwater tumbleweeds. Your belly made... button, let's clarify. <laughs> I'm just working on making a mouse a sweater at some point. This and is, a toupee. This is more questions than answers. And I want to know why the lint in my belly button is a completely different colour to any of my sweaters. I've not been able to work that out. Or the fact that you weren't wearing any sweaters at the time. This is true. No, the lint in my belly button is either blue, it's like navy blue, or it's grey. I don't any, there's nothing I own that's grey. How's the lid in my belly button grey? I don't own anything that's grey. Where does it come from? 
Does someone come along in the middle of the night with a pair of tweezers, pluck off things from their jumper and push them into my belly button? <laughs> I don't get it. It's very, very odd. But I am keeping this. I hope one day that Mountain Lake will be put on the map for the biggest lint ball there is. Because Darwin <laughs> in Minnesota has the biggest ball of twine, doesn't it? You know, and you have the Spam Museum in Austin. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking we should have the biggest lint ball. What we should have is like some sort of recycling centre outside you know, PJ's bar, where people can push lint through a little pillar box, you know, like a hole in in, in, in a big, you know, box. And uh, by the end of the month, we'll have the biggest ball of lint in Minnesota and people come from miles around to see it. We could roll it into a massive ball. Be like Indiana Jones when he's running and the ball's coming towards him. Where I am. <laughs> but of course, it's made out of lint, so it doesn't matter if it squashes him, it'll be fine. But I guarantee now that ball will be either navy blue or grey. 100% guaranteed. There we are. He says, I've seen similar things before. This is just uh, uh, ridiculous. I've seen a, a video footage of this. There's just little green balls all running around the beach. They're all slimy. And apparently they think it's algae. So they're not alien eggs after all. Does anyone have any more stories? Kim, what have you got for me in the round of UFOs and cryptozoology? Sculpture being installed to mark Rendlesham UFO incident. That's a very famous place, isn't it, Rendlesham? I figured you'd know where it was. Yeah, absolutely. It's in uh, Suffolk, I think. (laughs) That's our version of uh, New Mexico. What's the Roswell Roswell. site? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's our our Roswell, is is Rendlesham Forest. Uh, The incident, which occurred in December of 1980, is now regarded as one of the biggest UFO mysteries in the UK, if not worldwide. So you're giving me current news, then? Because they're making the sculpture I know, currently. I'm sorry, I'm being. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give myself minus you? one points just Ooh. for being facetious. There we go. No high fives. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I can easily put the points back again. Jeez. I don't know whether that's sexist or racist. I'm going to have 10 minutes to both. think about it. Both. It's always more fun if it's both, isn't it? So, what are they doing in Mendelssohn Forest, Kim? Um, first, what happened there, I'll repeat that for those that don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely, it's fun, yeah. Over a period of three nights, dozens of U.S. servicemen from the nearby United States Air Force Base witnessed lights in the forest. Believing it to be a downed aircraft, they entered the forest to investigate. They described what they found as a strange glowing object, metallic in appearance, with colored lights. It had landed in the forest on triangular landing gear, which left impressions visible on the ground the following morning. The sculpture is being placed in the clearing where the craft had landed, now part of the Forestry Commission's UFO trail. I didn't know such a thing existed, but that's very forward-thinking by Mm -hmm. the Forestry Commission. I love Europe. That's fabulous. The Americans would say it didn't exist, nothing happened. We've built a trowel and put a sculpture up. It's fantastic. (laughs) It landed here. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. It was designed based on sketches and descriptions of the incident, including the symbols copied from the body of the craft by eyewitness Sergeant Jim Penniston, who claimed to have actually touched the craft before it flew away. Fantastic. I had a cat then in the background. Who's brought a cat in here? Was that the ghost of a cat? Who's killed a cat on the way here? It's followed you. You've got an attachment. You've got a ghost cat following you around. Excellent. I wonder what that was, Robin. Better than a troll. This yeah. is very true, but you know, the, cat, the cat's rubbing my leg, which is rather off-putting. That's it. very interesting, and of course that wasn't an American airbase. A lot of the American uh, uh, pilots and a lot of the Air Force there went out to investigate that, and uh, one of them had a uh, an old-fashioned dictaphone with a cassette player, and he was playing it, and you can hear all the radio going backwards and forwards between the base and the people that were wandering around the woods explaining what they were seeing and what was happening. It all got recorded. So if people aren't aware of that, do go on YouTube and uh, look for those things. That's a fabulous 
uh, UFO story. And I, that's a very forward thinking. I'm, I, every time we read stories, you know, it makes me proud to be European, that a lot of the European nations are disclosing all their UFO information and putting it out there. And uh, France has done that. And I know England has done it. And still in this country, they refuse to release anything. Australia's released all their documents. Brazil has released all their documents. And over here, there's such a denial of that. You know, it's almost as if, you know, they don't respect the public's intelligence that they could deal with such things. It's very, very bizarre. We're going to move back now into the realm of uh, cryptozoology. It says colossal squid weighing 350 kilograms was pulled from the Antarctic. Scientists say a female colossal squid weighing in at an estimated 350 kilograms and thought to be only the second intact specimen ever found was carrying eggs when discovered in the Antarctic. The squid has been kept in optimum freezing conditions at the Tea Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand, ever since it was brought back from the seas off the frozen continent during the Southern Hemisphere's summer. The colossal squid is thought to extend up to four to five metres from tip to tentacle and weighed up to 500 kilograms. The specimen, like other octopus and squid species, has three hearts, one to pump blood around the body and two for the gills or lungs. This one had two perfect eyes, said scientist Kat Bolstad from Auckland University of Technology, who led the examination. I wonder if he wants a date. I mean, to say she had two perfect eyes, I mean, you know, he could be all over her like an octopus, couldn't he? He'd be taking her to Dairy Queen. That would be an embarrassment, wouldn't it? Sat there, How giant dare sp- you? What? You've been taken to Dairy Queen, haven't you, on many occasions? We know stories about what you get up to if you get bought a Dairy Queen. <laughs> We've heard all the stories before. <clears throat> Measurements reveal the animal's eye was 35 centimetres in diameter. That's over a foot, by the way, it's like a dinner plate. And confirmed that the specimen was, in fact, female. This was by far the most perfect colossal squid I have ever seen. He's at it again, isn't he? It wouldn't be surprised if he took her on a date. Can you imagine him stumbling out of her bedroom, you know, covered in sweat with his hair messy, with a big grin on his face, covered from head to foot in ink. The only other time scientists anywhere have had the chance to examine an intact colossal squid was in 2008, also at Te Papa. The museum said that specimen was also female. The squid was found by a fishing vessel in Antarctica's last southern hemisphere summer when the boat's captain, recognising what had come to the surface, carefully netted it and brought it on board. Scientists are now looking for the world's largest frying pan and a giant lemon. If this was calamari, it would be the size of tractor tyres, apparently. So there you go, one for all the family. That ends our round of the... UFOs and cryptozoology, the green men and hairy beasties. If we look at the scores, I am on four, Kim is on zero, Heather is on six. (laughs) For more informative madness, keep tuned after these short messages from our sponsors. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi-monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot, crop circles and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why and how are these phenomena. Meetings are from 7 to 9pm Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion Club in Wake Park, Minnesota. For more information, visit their website at LAPIG. For people who believe that standing in a cold, dark basement in the middle of the night for hours and end is perfectly normal. The Minnesota chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, 
meets the second Saturday of every month at the New Brighton Community Centre, New Brighton, Minnesota. Meetings are from 2 to 5pm central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, videos and guest speakers. Everyone with an interest in UFOs is welcome to attend. For anyone who's experienced a UFO sighting or knows someone who has, this is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions, calamari and tons of UFO information can be found at mnmufon.org. If you believe that your business or product would benefit from being mentioned live on air across the nation and the globe to a large target audience of morbidly fascinated and strangely interested listeners, I would love to hear from you. If it's paranormal and it's in the news, I'm talking about it on more questions and answers. In the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is Johnny Nash, there are indeed more questions and answers. And the more I find out, the less I know which means I'm probably less intelligent than when the show started. I'm your host, Adrian Lee, famous for being banned in Lithuania, for introducing the world to dirty hobo water, and sometimes the annoying inability to say abominable snowman live on air. Welcome back for the second part of tonight's show. If you've just joined us, then where have you been? And what could have been more important? If you have stayed with me, then let me raise your spirits further by saying that we still have 50% of the show still left to go. Hurrah and a happy dance all around the bedroom. I've been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies. I have fresh flashlight batteries and my mother has thankfully now stopped snoring from the room next door. So onwards we march. All of tonight's stories can be found in glorious Technicolor for your perusal on the Facebook site. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee where you can see at your own leisure the graphic pictures and video footage that accompany tonight's stories of the paranormal, strange and bizarre. And people from all over the world are posting stories regularly every day on that particular site, and we can only get through so many in our show. So you're more than welcome to go there. We have over 4,317 followers on Facebook as we speak. Uh, that was the number that was there an hour ago. Probably listening to this show, we may have actually lost a few more. But if you wish to go on there and have a look, you're more than welcome to do so. If you wish to follow me on Twitter, I now have a Twitter account as well. And we're going to be discussing where my team is going to be investigating and all the events that we are doing in haunted houses all around fall and winter. If you go to uh, Adrian uh, lower dash Lee lower dash tips T-I-P-S, you can find me on there, and it would be fun to be part of my Twitter account. We move into the round now that we call the bizarre and strange. These are the stories that don't fit any other category, but are too good to pass up. Heather, what have you got for me in the round of the bizarre and strange? You've got a maniacal look on your yeah. face, so I'm worried Speaking about. Speaking of, quit trying to read my stories. I story. am trying to read them. I'm looking upside down at your stories. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, fancy a burger designed to taste like human flesh. How, what? Fancy a burger designed to taste like human flesh? Yeah. I'm sure if you went to some parts of Africa, that could probably be arranged. Ew. It's going to taste like pork, isn't it? Ultimately. Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> the jury is out. A pop-up is offering intrepid Londoners the chance to Londoners try... Londoners mm-hmm. or Londoners? Londoners. Londoners, okay. The chance to try a burger with the taste and texture of human flesh. If you consider yourself an adventurous eater, there's a burger that's got your name on it. I'm an adventurous eater just because I eat microwave ready meals occasionally. (laughs) That's an adventurous eater. Eating human flesh or things that taste like human flesh would be ridiculous. A pop-up venture in London. London, You're going for London again, London 
is offering diners the chance to try a human flesh burger. Before you fall off your chair in horror, don't panic. The burger isn't actually made of human flesh, but it's simply meant to taste like it. Again, this poses the question, at some point down the line, someone has had to have tasted human flesh to know what a burger I'm getting there. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> the unsavory treat has been concocted by Messhead. A collaboration by a between... Methhead. Well, maybe. A collaboration between Chef James Tomlinson of London Mess and Miss Cakehead, a freelance creative who is known for her macabre food creations to mark the start of the fifth series of the zombie television show The Walking Dead. When you say a freelance creative, that's basically someone who knits their own sweaters, lives in a window. That is in parentheses, by the way. And calls their children Sunbeam. I think so, yeah, yes. I think this is where we are. <laughs> Thankfully, the pair didn't have to nibble human flesh themselves to create their burger. Instead, they read accounts from various cannibals about what human flesh tastes like. Inspiration came from flesh munchers, including William Seabrook, an explorer who described human flesh as tasting like good, fully developed veal, not young, but not yet beef, and the murderer Izzy Sagawa, who said... It melted in my mouth like raw tuna in a sushi restaurant. So it tastes like a mixture of veal, fish, chicken and pork. Apparently. Do you want to know what the final recipe is? I tell you what I want to know is, surely it depends on who you're eating, doesn't it? If, you, if you're chewing on granny's... You Why know, are you thinking about this? Well, there must be a difference. I mean, look at the difference between lamb and mutton. Do you see what I'm saying? So if we want to go into no, this... No, I in don't the... know that difference because I haven't eaten either. Well... Take it from me, there is a difference between lamb and mutton. The older it gets, the more richer the flesh becomes. And it's very odd to go into so much detail in this. But ultimately, you know, if you're eating someone of relatively young, you know, years, let's take a a nice rounded 13-year-old boy, for example, is going to taste a lot different. Why are you taking a 13-year-old boy? (laughs) That's just a... (laughs) Just wondering... (laughs) And Heather is back <laughs> to three. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, there would be a difference between that and eating your mother. <laughs> Why are you talking about my mother? That's all I'm saying. There must be a difference in the type of, you know, flavour. It's, it's, I don't want to know. No, we don't. Can I tell you how they made it? Please. <laughs> oh, just a minute. i got to get my pen to write this recipe down. <laughs> The final recipe. Paul Adina the- be doing this, don't worry. <laughs> the final recipe for the patties included pork, veal, bone marrow, and chicken livers. Magic. Ew. The burger will be available at a pop-up in East London. Where else? On Tuesday, September thirtieth. The location isn't yet known, but will be revealed via the Re- hashtag. Revealed. Yeah. Hashtag. Terminus Tavern, hashtag, on Twitter. Uh, We dare you to try it. It's going to be interesting to see where that springs up, because uh, East London's a big place, and uh, that's why I was born and brought up, so I might keep an eye on that. Call your mom and dad. Call me mom and dad and say, yeah, do you want to take (laughs) my mother out on a date, you know, and... uh, (laughs) It's no Dairy Queen. God, that human flesh is repeating on me. You know, it's, you know it follows me all day. I just, you know, oh, you got that's any just tums? disgusting. I can't. I, I still think there's got to be a difference also between where the cut of meat is. You know, if you're chewing on a finger, that's got to be different to a calf. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There, there, there's so many equations. And the diet here. of the person that 
what they ate. There you go. Well, yeah. it's like ham and bacon. I'm and... going to force feed Nathan with apples for the next month, and then we'll see where we are. Excellent. You know, we'll fatten him up for Christmas. That's Thank you very much. My pleasure. So, uh, well, we'll see what happens. We'll put him in a cage, dangle him in the kitchen, and force feed him apples and go from there. And the trick is to turn him really slowly on the spit so the fat drips down on your potatoes is, is where we're going to be. I've got a story now in the bizarre and strange. It says Florida Satanic Church to pass out children's colouring books in public schools. Have you ever wondered what a satanic children's colouring book might look like? Well, thanks to the great state of Florida, you wow. can now know for certain. Behold, the satanic children's big book of activities, a colouring book that is oh, being disseminated across Orange County public schools. Be careful, son, you're colouring over the lines on that virgin. A Christian group received permission to distribute Bibles and other religious materials to their students, leading atheist groups to appeal for an equal opportunity. It wasn't long before the satanic community hopped on board as well. If a public school board is going to allow religious pamphlets and full Bibles to be distributed to students, as is the case in Orange County, Florida, we think the responsible thing to do is to ensure that these students are given access to a variety of different religious opinions, as opposed to standing idly by whilst one religious voice dominates the discourse and delivers propaganda to the youth the satanics temple spokesman lucian greaves explained in a statement i am quite certain that all of the children in these florida schools are already aware of the christian religion and its bible and this might be the first exposure these children have to the actual practice of satanism we think many students will be very curious to see what we have to offer it's not what you have to offer it's what you have to give up, of course. Johnny got amazing test results and has broken the school's touchdown passes record in Orange County. But we can't seem to find his soul anywhere. Does this get filed in the section only in Florida? I mean, that's <laughs> remarkable, isn't it? Do you not find that bizarre that in Orange County... Am I the only one who thinks this is odd? I think in so. Orange <laughs> County... What know, age groups are they handing these out to? I would imagine... It doesn't say, but I would imagine this is kind of 11 to 18s, isn't it? Students get What 11-year-old colors in a in coloring this area, book? Yeah, you get your Bible in, Florida, in third though, grade. You get what, sorry? Yeah. A Bible in third grade. Yeah, the Gideons. Are you serious? Um, yeah. yeah, this happens in, in England, In public too. school? Yeah. Not, not through school, but I'm just saying age-wise, in third grade is when you get your Bible. Yeah, through just, church, though, right? Yes. No, this happens in schools as well. In Britain, um, when you're 11 years old and you go to secondary school, the Gideons, which I believe mm -hmm. are the group that put Bibles in hotel drawers and bedside cabinets, give out Bibles to all the students if they want one. They're not pressed into them. Um, in fact, when I was a school teacher, the Gideons came into the school and gave out Bibles to all the students. And they actually had ones to give to teachers as well that were slightly different to the ones the students got but I remember I was on uh, playground duty that day and I saw a kid kicking his bible around the floor and they were playing football with it and I tore a strip off that kid um, for doing that as a lack of respect you know regardless of your religious beliefs you know any any religious book whether it be the Quran or any other you know deserves respect so I actually remember you know telling a child off for kicking a bible around the floor after they were given out but they are given out in schools in britain they do that as a charity i have to tell you that this is completely blasphemous but it made me laugh hysterically for a couple of minutes i was in a hotel and i was lying in bed and uh, i was bored so i opened up the bedside drawer and there was the bible sat there 
And uh, I opened up the front cover, and there on the fly sheet where the copyrights are, someone had written in their best and neatest handwriting, um, best wishes God. And uh, even that is blasphemous. <laughs> I did try and sell it on eBay, but there was no takers, believe it or not. So you stole it from the hotel. <laughs> is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, I didn't. No. I made that up. It's all made up. No, that is a true story. I, I, I did find that Bible with that written in, but I did leave it there because I thought someone <laughs> in a really low moment on their own in a hotel room feeling very depressed, reaching out for the Bible would open it up and see that and that would make their whole outlook so much more better wouldn't it it did for you didn't it it made me smile i still chuckle about it it makes me laugh (laughs) to think about it now who else has a story for me in the round of the bizarre and strange kim what have you got for me there in a world first a team of researchers has achieved brain-to-brain transmission of information between humans outside of psychic forces i'm guessing or is it including psychic forces no 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 the plot thickens The team managed to send messages from India to France, a distance of 5,000 miles, without performing invasive surgery on the test subjects. There were four participants in the study aged between 28 and 50. One was assigned to a brain-computer interface to transmit the thought, while the three others were assigned to receive the thought. The first participant, located in India, was shown words translated into binary and had to envision actions for each piece of information. For example, they could move their hands for a 1 or their legs for a 0. A technique known as, now let me get this one right, electroencephalography. <laughs> no, you're right, you didn't get it right. Encephalitis, got it. Electroencephalography. That's a dinosaur, you're not getting away with that. <laughs> which monitors brain signals from the outside, was used to record the thoughts as outgoing messages and send them via the internet. At the other end, electromagnetic induction was used to stimulate the brain's visual cortex from the outside and pass on the signal successfully to the three other participants in France. Did they know each other, these participants, or were they random? Well, they weren't twins Doesn't or say. anything. That would, be, that would be an interesting question, mm-hmm. wouldn't it, if they actually knew one another? Yes, it would. Uh, the report's co-author, Alvaro Pascual Leon, said, We wanted to find out if one could communicate directly between two people by reading out the brain activity from one person and injecting brain activity into the second person and do so across great physical distances by leveraging existing communication pathways. One such pathway is, of course, the Internet. So our question became, could we develop an experiment that would bypass the talking or typing part of Internet and establish direct brain-to-brain communication between subjects located far away from each other in India and France? The research team was made up of researchers from Harvard University as well as experts from France and Spain. One of the interesting things you touch upon there is that contemporary quantum physics suggests at this moment that there is a collective consciousness in the universe. If you go and uh, look at people like Rudy Shields at Harvard University, they are lecturing at this moment and you can see him talk on uh, YouTube and they're discussing the fact that dark matter like black holes... um, There's an event horizon. There's a point of a black hole and dark matter where an event horizon means nothing can get sucked in, but nothing can also be pushed out. It's being held statically. It's being held in stasis. And a lot of what's being held in stasis are microwaves. And microwaves really move very quickly. But in event horizons, they're being held in place. And, of course, microwaves 
um, infrared technologies is how a lot of information is passed you know through optical cables and various things it's how we send each other information so they now believe there's a collective consciousness that's holding information and they've now got a way of proving that that exists and it's very contemporary thinking at the moment of course science always lags behind doesn't it because we knew these things existed long long time ago and also i know the american military are doing a lot of research at the moment over the last couple of years. Some of it's um, actually been at Minnesota University where they're actually getting a system where a pilot thinks a certain way and then controls the aircraft through his thoughts but also communicates with the soldiers on the grounds the things that he's seeing through a helmet that almost does a kind of telepathy. So these things are all in place and that's certainly... And what um, if a person is in charge of something that important and then their mind wanders? Well, strangely you should say that, but what they're also experimenting on is having two pilots control the same plane and it takes the medium of their thoughts. So if one pilot suddenly thinks, wow, she's got a nice ass," the other person's still <laughs> flying the plane. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it takes the average, because you're absolutely right, it takes a lot of effort to think on one particular thing, almost well, like and meditation. I would hate to see this get evolved enough to where your boss and you are having a conversation in this manner. That would be problematic, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. But it would also be fabulous if you was on your way to a Kentucky Fried Chicken and you thought, you know, I want the bargain bucket and some beans and some coleslaw. Think of the, think of the fights between husbands and wives. Well, because the wife knew exactly what the husband was thinking. Mm-hmm. That's very dangerous ground, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, I think most wives know what their husbands are thinking, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it's the other way round that the problem starts, where the wife says, if I have to tell you... And you're thinking, well, actually, you do. I have no idea what you're talking about. So I just thought that was a a very interesting... This is the conversation that takes place with my parents on a regular basis. This is a very interesting story that made me laugh that fits into the round of the bizarre and strange. It's coming from Canada. It says, Air Force Raids Museum for Spare Plane Parts. Canada's Air Force has had to take spare parts from a museum to keep its search and rescue aircraft flying after government promises to buy new planes never materialised. Technicians from the Royal Canadian Air Force went to a military-based museum in Trenton, Ontario to find navigational equipment for a similar aircraft that's still in use. They got the part from an E-model C-130 Hercules aeroplane on display after getting permission from the museum. They sort of called up, he said. Hey, we've got these two internal navigation units that we can't use. Do you have any on yours? Museum curator Kevin Windsor recalls. He says they were lucky the parts were available and interchangeable and took only half an hour to remove. The former head of military procurement, Dan Ross, said it's embarrassing that the Air Force has to cannibalise old stuff that's in museums to keep up its rescue planes, which are apparently on their last wings. The government has been promising since 2002 to replace the planes, but has kept putting it off. I can't believe a government has not followed through with its promises. Who knew? (laughs) Isn't that a fabulous story? What would happen, I wonder, um, to their navy if they suddenly ran out of coal? would be terrible (laughs) i just think that's great that the canadian air force has to raid a museum to get spare parts for the planes it still has in its operations and the response that they'll get from that is because they were creative enough to do that and keep them going and not spend hardly any money they get to do it again that is that is the danger of course you're absolutely right this is how management works isn't it the thing well you managed it last time we'll we'll keep going but uh That's just appallingly bad, isn't it? The poor museum getting phone calls from their Air Force saying, have you got this, have you got that? And they're scavenging them. How old must these planes be? I mean, a Hercules is an old plane, isn't it? It goes back, you know, I think to the to the 50s. But 
um, how bad is it that you're still operating aeroplanes that are currently in a museum? It always makes me feel old when I go to um, museums like the Victorian Albert Museum in London, in Kensington, or I go to the Design Museum, you know, in Southwark, in uh, South London, and I used to see toys displayed in there that I had when I was a kid. And you're walking through the museum saying, I had that bike, I had that G.I. Joe, I had this, I had that. There was a vacuum cleaner in there that my grandmother used when I was a kid. It's in a museum. It just makes me feel incredibly old. I just thought I'd mention that, but I think it's very forward-thinking as well that there are museums in Britain that are collecting stuff like that. But uh, ultimately, what I need to do is go to the attic of my parents' house, get on eBay, and sell off all my old toys for large sums of money is where we are. No? I think Tonka, there was some Tonka toys in there as well. That's Minnesotan, isn't it, Tonka? Yes. Mini Tonka. There we go. What have you got for me? We move into the round that is not for your mother. This is the round... Well, if your mother's listening, you need to usher out of the room. You need to get her to chew on a large piece of calamari and send her off into the bedroom. You need to remove any small children, any minors, any of those people that are easily offended. Because these are the stories of the week that fall into the round of not for your mother because they are laden with innuendo. Those are stories that we can't read at the beginning of the show because it would get us into a lot of trouble. So you have been warned. This is now an R-rated part of the show. And it is, of course, our favourite part of the show so heather you can kick off you are currently on three points kim is on four i am also on four so these stories could make or break this entire show Yay. for all all of us concerned florida woman 69 arrested it's always in florida isn't it I it's know. florida every single time it's either that or china Sorry, or london I'm, well london few and far but <laughs> all we're doing in london is serving burgers that taste like human flesh i mean yeah, we don't there's nothing wrong or strange no Florida woman, 69, arrested for Febreze attack on her adult son. A Febreze attack. (laughs) Yeah. A 69-year-old woman was charged with battery after she sprayed her adult son in the face with Febreze during an argument in the family's Florida home. Jenny Ellis was arrested early Friday after an argument with her son, who suffers from mental illness. And lack of showers. <laughs> and it turned physical. We saw a man that was really hairy this week, and I thought, God, he must be the only person who takes carpet powder into the shower. You can carve your name into that. that. Was ridiculous. It he was, was planning into corn crows. I haven't seen anything <laughs> like it. <laughs> According to cops, and why is a hairy man affiliated with mental illness? What made that oh, synaptic link? Oh, I was looking at the Oh, okay. yes, we won't make you get If there's any hairy men out there, you're, you're just one step away from mental illness. <laughs> um, according to cops, Ellis twice spit in her son's face and doused him with a household odor eliminator. Ellis reportedly became an angered when her son called her a derogatory name. When interviewed I'm by... going to call you a derogatory name. Yes. Going back to the theme of mental illness and hairy men, I'm suddenly thinking of like Manson. I'm thinking mm. of Rasputin. I mean, there are there are some presidents there for uh, precedents, some hairy presidents, uh, you know, that would. Uh, well, we could attack the Yeti with it. What with Febreze? Yeah, I'm sure the Yeti That'll has do to it. take carpet. They must have fleas, mustn't they? There must be things living on them. Delouse them. Delouse a Yeti. Yeah, we should start a Yeti delousing organization service. service. So when yeah. they're actually found, you know, they'll they'll be uh, available to go to, fund me. Go fund me. <laughs> Yeti delousing service. You've got the biggest flea comb known to man. And a, and a collar. We'll make a, a flea collar. collar. With a bell on it. So any wildlife doesn't get eaten on the way. 
this is terrible. there are there are organisations in Britain that have actually put in place UFO landing pads and have welcoming committees all lined up. So when the UFOs Great. finally land, everything. Do you in bring place. a casserole? Or? That's the forward thinking you were referring to earlier. It right? is yes. So we put the landing pad there. We've got the welcoming committee. We've got language experts standing by, and everything's in place. It's all there, ready to go. It just seems like a similar organisation. I think Yeti Delousing Services <laughs> will have to come and do the carpets as well because they lay their eggs in the carpet. We just can't do the Yeti. We've got to do the whole house. This is where we are. Can you imagine shaving a Yeti? I mean, that'd look ugly, wouldn't it? Oh. Just like two big eyes and lots of white pink flesh and... No. <laughs> Never mind. I'm my not dad even... The... Yeah, I'm sorry. That's completely Sleep by that every night. Oh, no. <laughs> That's rough, Trot. I feel bad for you. Uh, when interviewed by deputies, Ellis said she was frustrated with the mental health system in Florida and just wants her son gone, according to the police report. Oh. Ellis reportedly told police, just take him out of here, make him disappear, shoot him or something. Well, they'd probably do that, so I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I know. Charged with a misdemeanor battery, Ellis was released from jail after posting a $1,000 bond. She is scheduled for an October 14th court appearance. Wow, she needs good luck with that. For assaulting your son with Febreze. Not salting. Not salting. That'd be like a slug. (laughs) I have to... We're going to salt you. Oh, no, I'm dehydrating. (laughs) I always wonder, if you're you're on a date, you've got your date there, there's candles, it's very romantic, there's a guy playing a violin. Can you imagine you get in a French restaurant, you know, you get a pile of snails put in front of you. You know, if you didn't know any better, you could put salt on your dinner and the whole thing could disappear. You could put salt on your snails and you hear, <laughs> and it's just, there's just a snail shell rolling around on the plate like a marble. You'd have to say, garçon, get the waiter, and he'd bring you a glass of water. You'd have to dip your snails in the water to rehydrate them so you can That's eat them. That's disgusting. You, so, you've eaten snails? I have. It's like chewing on a bogey, but with a crash helmet. Oh, um, gross. I was still chewing it when I got into the car park 25 minutes later, but it's, uh, those snails repeated on me. <laughs> Yeah, they were climbing. I did actually buy some snails once, and uh, I was going to cook them fresh. And uh, I went, I went away and uh, sat and watched some television. Came back. What's the difference between a snail and a slug? Um, One's homeless, and one is. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much the sum of it. (laughs) What one's a drummer without a girlfriend? And uh... (laughs) but you know, I did. You know, if you put snails on, on, uh, you know, I did have fresh snails on a plate, and they worked their way up the walls. I had to go and pick them off and put them back in the. That's disgusting. Didn't you say in Britain they have a huge snail problem? Well, it's very wet and damp in Britain, so slugs and snails are are in abundance. Absolutely. So you could go forage for your own supper, huh? Yes, you can, but you can only eat edible snails. Some snails you can't eat, and you have to purge them first. So if you do want to eat, how do you make them purge? Well, you you, you feed them lettuce. (laughs) You starve them, basically. So all the crap that's inside them gets pushed out, and you starve them for a day or two. So all the rubbish gets removed, and you just give them fresh water to drink, and uh, then you're good to go is pretty much where we are. But there's seafood. Things like whelks are basically just all kinds of sea snails, aren't they? You can can I didn't know you could eat the Welsh. Uh, you can do, yes. It, it tastes like chicken, apparently. <laughs> Charlotte Church would be a good example of that. And uh, Shirley Bassey, of course, but I'd avoid Tom Jones, uh, which is not unusual. <laughs> Fabulous. Terrible. I have a story here. It says, uh, this is definitely not for your mother. It says, meet the man who says his life is being ruined by having 100 orgasms a day. 
Meet Dale Decker, a man who has a hundred orgasms a day but does not enjoy a single one. Dale Decker sounds like a made-up name, doesn't it? Yes. He's like starring Dale Decker and Laomi Quick. Dale is trapped in his own home by persistent genital arousal syndrome. You think that's funny, dear? That's an appalling syndrome, <laughs> which he developed in September. Nathan's empathising with him, unfortunately. And those initials are PGA? Uh, PGAS. Oh, okay. Persistent genital arousal syndrome. Give generously, which he developed in September of 2012 when he slipped a disc in his back whilst getting out of a chair. That's all and you have to do? Apparently, yeah. Just get out of a chair quickly, Nathan. <laughs> Blimey, you nearly had me eye out. Um, and says his life is ruined by the condition. The 37-year-old said, imagine being on your knees at your father's funeral beside his casket, saying goodbye to him. And then you have nine orgasms right there while your whole family... (laughs) It's what dad would have wanted. (laughs) It makes you never want to have another orgasm for as long as you live. He added... If you're in public, if you're in front of kids, it's disgusting and it can break you really fast. It happened to me at the grocery store. And when it was over, there were around 150 people looking straight at me. Why would I leave the house when something like this can happen? Clean up in aisle two. (laughs) So basically it happens all the time. And at random moments. Imagine if he was actually on the show and uh, currently reading this out. It would be terrible, wouldn't it? Dale lives in Two Rivers, Wisconsin with his uh, wife, April, (laughs) and two sons, Christian, 12, and Tatum, 11. While she does everything she can to support him, April 33 is finding Dale's condition just as hard to live with. That's terrible. No, this is what's written down. She said, we really struggle right now. <laughs> Leave my bell alone, woman. You've not got permission to type. How dare you? That, that's an invasion of privacy. That's minus one for unauthorised bell touching. I'm reading out them. what's here. It's what's written down on the paper. Really? <laughs> she said, we're really struggling right now as he is unable to work and supply for his family. And I feel like all the strain is on me. I think most of the strain is probably with him, actually. It's really upsetting. We don't do things that men and wife should do. And we argue I over things. I beg to argue with that. Why? I'm sure they are doing things. Well, apparently not. Um, it goes on to discuss that, actually. It says uh, we don't do the things man and wife should do. And we argue over things. Well, that's pretty much what man and wife do do. That's right. See? An emotional April added, because he sometimes has episodes at night... We took the decision to sleep in separate beds. Oh, I'm sorry. I appear to have had an episode over your side of the bed. Ah, This can be very frustrating. You want the comfort from another person, particularly your husband. But we don't have that. Despite suffering from a near constant erection, Dal and April rarely have sex. Dal added occasionally we will, but it's very frustrating for both of us as the condition has left me unable to finish. Well, apparently there's only so much water in the fountain, I guess. Wait a minute. He can't finish, but yet he has 100. That's a lot of fluids. If on average, the average man is like 30. But you just said he couldn't finish. That's right. Isn't that finishing? 
I'm, I don't know where we stand on this. I'll have to ask the guy. All I'm <laughs> suggesting is... I'm that, just saying. Well, no, after your 100th go, how much water's left in the fountain? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, how I much know, lead's but... left in the pencil? I get you know, that. The, the dead horse has fallen out of the stable. Mm-hmm. You know, one-eyed Jack's gone to the ophthalmist. <laughs> Do you see where we are? The baloney pony's gone to the knacker's yard. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But you said he's unable to finish, and it, doing it a hundred times, isn't that... Am I wrong? No, I would say what? he had to have finished one of those hundred times at least. Well, he had, yeah, have to get he doesn't have a very high percentage. So she's just got to get it right on she's, when. Well, yeah. she's got to get it earlier in the day, I would suggest. If the average man produces 30 uh, milliliters, which I believe is a, tea, is a tablespoon, isn't it? So if, if average man... Why pro- do you know that? Uh, I've done research. Okay. Um, <laughs> the average man produces, say on average... A tablespoon, 30 milliliters. If that's 100 times a day, you know, we're looking at 100 times 30 there. That's what, 3,000 3, milliliters. How many pints is that? Three liters. Three liters. You can't be expected to finish every time if your body's producing three liters a day. That's ridiculous. I mean, the guy must be constantly drinking, mustn't he? That's about a gallon a day. He'd jump in the bath and the water would disappear. He'd be like, <laughs> he'd be like, all the water's gone and it's just a duck. You know, You've when been he's practicing belly. that sound effect I have, all I, week. Well, it, you know, it's his pet shop noises, isn't it? Is, wow. where, is where we are. He goes on to say, I've tried reading about it. I've tried going to doctors, but no one can help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just want to get my old life back. I want to get back what this condition has taken from me. Despite many medical professionals being unable to even diagnose the condition, there are some specialists in the field. Suicide is always a concern when people people suffer from this condition, said one specialist. They feel like they have no other way to escape. Well, we certainly don't want him to top himself, do we? (laughs) Points to be had all round. I shall give myself a resplendent two. Ah, Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Not For Your Mother? This is not the Dairy Queen, Heather. Okay. It's a Hairy Queen. Death Row Dinner's theme pop-up causes social media uproar. Guess where we're at again. Oh, it's Is Iowa. it London? Is it Florida? It's London. It's ah, London again, is it? I see where we are. <laughs> as soon as you read your story earlier about a pop-up in London, I thought, hmm, wait till mine. <laughs> <laughs> two stories in one week. You wait all year for a London story to come along and then two come along at once. What the hell is a pop-up? Just what the, I've absolutely no idea. Is that like one of the little, like a, a lunch truck or whatever? Uh, I would imagine it's a very impromptu kind of, you know, let's jump into a disused shop front and just instantly put something there and... You know, this suddenly goes viral and the place is full of people, is my impression of things. Uh, A controversial pop-up restaurant theme based on guests eating the same food as inmates on death row has sparked outrage on social media, causing the organizers to reconsider the idea before even opening. The London restaurant is offering a five-course tasting menu for about $82, (laughs) where curious diners could experience death row dinners, allowing them to enjoy the idea of the last meal without the nasty execution bit. Yeah, without the yucky, (laughs) without the yucky lethal injection 2,000 volts bit, yeah. Yeah, that Um, sucks. Very short story. They're just not sure if they're going to open because of the backlash. The interesting thing is that I think I'm right in saying that they've done away with last meals on death row. 
because so many inmates were asking for ridiculous things and causing them issue to go and find them. And then when they would prepare this amazing five-course meal, you know, with truffles and really rare things and stuff that they had to go and find, the inmate then, as a protest, then wouldn't eat it. And they got so fed up of going through this, you know, um, constant convention of, of being messed around by inmates that basically they get sausages now. Sausages is all they've got. That's so, probably all they had while they were in prison. Yeah, sausage. It's constantly. <laughs> it was probably rammed down their throats. They're probably sick of it. So, You're uh, welcome. You know, I, I'll have to do a bit more research on that. But I think I'm right in saying that death row last meals have been done away with. Um, but ultimately, you can ask for whatever you want was the idea. So I don't understand what that menu would be because it would be whatever you wanted, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Would seem to be. So the how way are they going to gonna have? Maybe you have to order or a month ahead of time or something. I don't know. Uh, unless it's uh, chicken or something like that. I don't know. I, there was a, I did read again a list somewhere of the most common last meals, and I think it was basically steak was where we were. Okay. I think most inmates asked for steak. But What would your last meal be? If you could eat anything, What your last ever meal, what would you go for? What would you eat? Go with Kim. I have no idea. You have no Seafood idea. Of some sort. Seafood. You like salmon, don't you? You'd yep. probably go for a blackened teriyaki salmon i would think nathan you'd, you'd go for a pineapple i know that what would I, a bowl of irish steel cut oats honey cinnamon and soy milk so you just basically want a bowl of cheerios um <laughs> your last meal is breakfast cereal. is that where we are well i'm sure that can be arranged heather you're a, still on a really good marinated steak you're still yeah. going with steak yeah. aren't you? It's, it's your fallback position i think the curry would be mine the thing is, this is your opportunity to eat Taco Bell, to eat, you know, uh, a curry, to eat really spicy, hot foods. Because, you know, the next day, you know, normally you'd have dead man's <laughs> grip, wouldn't you? You'd be sat on the toilet, you know, playing the tuba, as it were. It doesn't matter. You're going to be dead. You can, I've never had you, that before. You've never had dead man's grip? No. Where you're clutching onto the porcelain? No. That's never happened. No. We need to take you to a third world country. <laughs> I'll feed you watermelon in India and we'll sit back and watch your lower intestinal tract flop around like a bungee cord and we'll spend the evening reinserting it with a shoehorn. So, uh, Speaking of watermelon, Kim. And shoehorns. I will be bringing one over. I got one out of the garden. Yes. Oh. And it's well, huge. Well, Everyone can have a piece. There we go. We'll, we all heard that, didn't we? And she hasn't even been to Dairy Queen. Quite remarkable. Heather, you are going to finish tonight's show. What have you got for me in the round of Not For Your Mother? Man named Wank busted at Love's Truck Stop for public lewdness. What did Who? you say his name? Oh, <laughs> I just, You know, you've, you've nailed it before I have. Do did, did you, did you Americans know what a wank is? Yes. It's it's on yes. it's onanism, isn't it? It's a wank. You don't keep saying it. Wank. No. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Wank Williams. A man named Kelvin Wank was arrested. I'm sorry, what was his name? Wank. Kelvin what? Wank. What was his name? Wank. And who was his parents? Wank. And what was the name of his brother? Wank. And what was he called at school? Wank. And what did his teachers say? Wanker. And what was the name of his pastor? <laughs> wank. <laughs> That's a lot of wanking, isn't it? <laughs> was arrested Saturday morning at an update. Oh, it's a great oh, oh, word. Upstate. Though. Upstate. That's a great word. There's certain words in this world, isn't there? You know, that's just, you could lie in bed with Tourette's, 
just wanking and, and, and just constantly just saying that over and over again, couldn't you? Just me. Okay, fair enough. Did you take your meds today? No, I've had a lot of sugar as it happens. I was eating those Ghostbusters donuts. There are words. It's things like puddle and apple pudding and elbow that I just have to say over and over again. Elbow. Just me. No one else has this. Piddle. Piddle. There you go. Gusset. Moist. Apple pudding. It's just fabulous. I love words. And wank is one of them. So I'm just going to include that. Why are you all looking at me as if I'm mad? Am I the only person who likes saying words over and over again because of the sound? Yeah, apparently there is. Okay. I'm the one who's odd. Do continue, Heather. It's Tourette's. I'll be fine. A man named Kelvin Wank. There you go. Was arrested Going Saturday through the morning. On a horse with no name. <laughs> At an upstate New York truck stop. I hope he doesn't call his dog that because you wouldn't want to be over the park going, wank, wank, waiting for your golden Labrador. After several drivers reported seeing him committing sexually lewd acts while in a parking lot. Wank by name and wank by nature. (laughs) Have you ever had those um, old maid cards where you have to match up Mrs. Bun the Baker with Mr. Bun the Baker? I forgot they all had names, yes. Yeah, well, there's the wank family. You need Mr. Wank, Mrs. Wank and the kids as well, yeah. It's probably Hungarian. It probably means something in Hungarian. Wank. I'm going to befriend him on Facebook. I want a friend on Facebook. <laughs> Called Kelvin Wank. Yes. Uh, he might be in jail. Okay. Wank is a 56-year-old resident of Deposit, a town about he's made, 35 he's, he's in a town miles. called Deposit. <laughs> yes, he lives in Deposit. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> a town about 35 miles from the Love's truck stop. Just outside busted. of Flangeville. He was busted at 10.15 in the morning. Witnesses reported that Wank was <laughs> committing sexually lewd acts while in a parking lot and field next to the truck stop. Now, I have a question there. He was committing sexually lewd acts while in a parking lot and field next to the truck stop. Well, he's obviously running around. He's probably, you know... He's old... running around wanking. Yeah, he's a wank here and a wank there everywhere. Wank, wank, wank. wank. Yeah. <laughs> old MacDonald had a wanky IEIO. It's quite reasonable. <laughs> State troopers responded to a suspicious person report arrested wank for public lewdness. <laughs> <laughs> a misdemeanor. He's scheduled for an October 7th court appearance. No, that's just... I suppose parking lots, and you have to help me get this right if you can. I can't remember for Lot sure. Lot lizard. That's yes. I was going to say lizard lot. Psychic. Yeah. yeah psychic. Yes, <laughs> a, I was thinking of the right name. Yes, then. a truck stop parking lot isn't the place you want to be hanging around. No. No. I would suggest, unless you want to make some quick money, Nathan. In which case, we'll put a wig on you, a bit of lipstick, and you're good to go. Well, thank good, you, Adrian. Well, my pleasure. You've got the kind of looks that can turn a man. Well, all good things come to an end. So let us look at tonight's scores. In last place, the K two meter with a dead battery is Greg on. Three points. And in a resplendent first place, the $33,000 IR camera is mine tonight. I have six. Kim is on five and Heather is on four. I didn't get any points for that. I just gave you one point for that. You was on. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll give you two. You're now up to five. There we go. You're now on parity (laughs) with Kim. How is your maths? Three plus two is five. What kind of, I know you've got Imperial over here, but I think it's the same <laughs> rules. Honestly, no. you're apparently, well, to recap, Greg is in last place. <laughs> Kim and Heather now tied for second on five. And I have raced into a lead with one point. 
On six, we've also broken the record for the most times the word wank has been said on a live radio show. And if we are indeed back next week, I'd like you to join us. <laughs> Do not fear, listener. Remember, we are back with a whole new bunch of stories if uh, the authorities let us next week at the same time. And I'd love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of paranormal, strange, intriguing, bizarre, wanking and just plain weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me anytime via my Facebook site, more questions and answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can email me at mqta at rocketmail.com. And we also have a Twitter account. So if you look up Adrian Lee Tips, T-I-P-S, the International Paranormal Society, you will find me on there as well. My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Yaton Drainer, Kim and Greg Gore, Nathan and all at the International Paranormal Society at intparanormal.net. And all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group and MUFON of Minnesota. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening and remember, be interested and interesting.